You're listening to Local Church Podcast. We hope this message helps you to be with and follow Jesus. Enjoy the sermon. All right. Welcome to Local Church. How's everyone doing tonight? All right. Pretty all right. That's not bad. That's not bad. If you're new here, my name is Jake. I get to serve the church through preaching and teaching. And we are in the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6, verse 20, that's where we'll start, uh, famous start of the Sermon on the Mount, the, we'll be looking at the Beatitudes today, um, very, uh, yeah, famous, famous passage, so let me pray again for us, and we'll jump right into Luke. Jesus, thank you so much that we can gather here together, um, that we can gather as your people. I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, that I thank you that they are here with us, and I pray that you would speak to them. And Lord, I pray right now that you'd speak to each and every one of us. Um, we are here to hear from you, God. Uh, we, need to, we need to hear from the maker of heaven and earth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 6, verse 20. Let's start there. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets." But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. All right. There we go. That's what we're looking at, those verses today. Um, Before we get into it, some things you should know about Jesus and the way he teaches. Um, Jesus... Uh, teaches, and specifically when he's teaching in parables, um, but a lot of times when he's teaching with the, against these religious Pharisees, Jesus loves to use hyperbole. Okay, so it's this form of, of exaggerating things. He uses this, um, well, uh, let me pause on that for a second. Kind of like the phrase, Jesus would use the phrase, I'm as hungry as a horse. Or, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Anyone ever heard that phrase? Like, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. Now, have any of you ever said that phrase? I've said that phrase, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. Now, have, when you've said that phrase, were any of you thinking, I actually want to eat a horse right now, or would you actually physically be able to eat a horse? No, it'd be, it's hyperbole. It's, you're, you're making this state, you want people to know, like, man, I'm hungry, but, but just saying I'm hungry isn't enough. Like, you've got to understand how hungry I am. I'm so hungry that I could eat a horse. People go, man, that is hungry. That guy's hungrier than me. Like, I thought I was a hungry, but I was more like, I could use a snack right now. And this guy, he's like, he's so hungry he could eat a horse. But none of us ever literally think he would be eating a horse. So Jesus likes to use hyperbole to make a make a strong point, and he'll use satire, and he'll use humor 
And he'll use all this. We'll, we'll see him use it even in the book of Luke, and we'll see him use some of that t- tonight. Number two, number two thing before we get into it, Jesus is not just challenging man-made religion, but remember what we talked about last week. Jesus is trying to blow up man-made religion. This idea of putting God in some sort of box, in this box that humans have put God in, Jesus comes to actually blow that box to pieces. Just completely just break it apart. Like when my son builds a nice, perfect Lego set and spends hours doing it and his four-year-old sister walks into the room. That's the type of action that Jesus is trying to do to religion right now. I'll let your imagination go where it wants to go with that visual. Okay, so let's get into it. Verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So one of the first things we see is this instruction, he's looking at his disciples as he's teaching them. These disciples that he just called, that we talked about last chapter, he called 12 disciples. Um, This number 12, not an accident. Not an accident, because big chunk, most of the Old Testament is to the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, these were Jacob's sons, Jacob who wrestled with God and changed his name to Israel. His 12 sons later became these 12 specific tribes. And this was in part one of the Bible, the Old Testament, in part one of the Bible, God's people and the way God interacted with humanity was through Israel and these 12 tribes. Okay? And so everyone would know if, if you were in that context, and you'd be like, whoa, this guy's coming. He, he's saying he's some sort of great teacher or prophet or from God. And now he just selected 12 disciples. If you knew part one of the Bible deeply, you would know this guy's here to start something. He's starting the new way that God's going to interact with humanity. He's starting something brand new here. And, it, and it's going to have to do with God's space and human space and how they come together. And so, the Sermon on the Mount is, is setting foundation. It's setting foundation for this new God-people movement. For this new God-people movement. And in setting these foundations, he's also destructing some of the old man-made foundations. And one of those foundations was that if you were rich, if you were well-off, if you were successful, that means God had blessed you. You were blessed. In fact, there was this idea that if, that if you were really successful, if you were really healthy, if you really had things going well, you probably earned it. You probably earned it. You were probably some sort of religious elite. And because of your great religious abilities, God is blessing you with his health, with this wealth, with uh, great businesses, with all these different things. And so, understand, that that is the disciples' mindset as they're being selected to become Jesus' disciples. They're thinking, man, this guy's a big deal. He's selecting us. We're about to be blessed. 
right? We're about to be blessed. Things are about to get Joel Osteen up in here. Like, we're about to get better watches. We're about to get better cars. Like, we're about to get better boats. Like, this, he selected us. Right? You're probably pretty excited. Where are we headed? And this is what he says. Blessed are you. And they're like, here it is. Here comes the blessings, guys. He selected us, about to be blessed. And he says, blessed are you who are poor. Okay, not what I thought he was going to say. Not where I thought he was going. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when the people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. So what he's doing here is he's absolutely shattering that religious paradigm that I just told you before. He's taking that religious paradigm, and he will do this over and over and over. He will take the, like we talked about last week, the things that we think make sense to be a successful religious human, God often blows those things up and has a completely different way, which is the Jesus way. That's what he's doing right here, right out of the gate. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. There's so much that could be said in this, but here's, here's, here's the first point I want to make. In this kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven, well, before we make this point, we do got to, we got to hit some things. Um, one of the ways that this can be mistaught or misunderstood is to just believe that if you are poor, starving, hungry, and people hate you, that you're doing God's will and you're blessed, right? It's very important with any teaching in the Bible, any teaching in the Bible, that you look at it in light of all of the Bible, right? Um, it's very important, too, when you look at this person, he's going he's gonna to pack in some context for this, because he's going to say, blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn you as evil, on account. So this on account is very important. On account of the Son of Man. On account of being a Jesus follower. So if people hate you, and they revile you, and they disrespect you, because you're in an a-hole, that's a theological term for something else, um, because you're just a jerk, like, you can't go around and just be like, start being a jerk to people, and just like, you know, cutting people off, like, or, when I was in college, there was a thing called out-of-heres, and what an out-of-here was, I lived in the house with like 50 guys, um, and don't recommend it if you're into cleanliness, anyways, lived in the house with 50 guys, and there was this thing called an out-of-here, and the perfect out-of-here was you would go into the kitchen and you would make your meal, like a nice smoothie, you'd get your um, toast all done, your eggs, you just get everything, your plate is ready, you got maybe some hash browns on there. The longer it took you to prepare your meal, the better the out of here was, okay? Um, the better the out of here was. You'd just get more points in the world. So you'd come out of the kitchen then and what an out of here was is someone be hide, is hiding behind the door as you walked out, 
and then they would smack your food right out of your hands, and they'd just go, out of here! And boom, the bigger the mess, the bigger the cloth, the bigger the thing, the better the out of here. And all the guys would just be like, oh, you just got out of here! Whoa, you know? And the guys that did out of here's all the time, like, it got old. Believe it or not, that gets old. Um, and, and, and the guys that did out of here's all the time, other guys stopped liking those guys. They started to actually hate those guys and revile those guys. Because if someone out of here's you more than once, and even once, sometimes it's enough for you not to like that person anymore. Um, Jesus is not talking about that. He's not saying, blessed are you for the, when they hate you because you're the best at out of here's all the time. Right? Kids, by the way, don't ever try this to your parents, especially your mom. Like, don't ever, okay? You will not be blessed, trust me. You don't want that type of reviling, okay? You don't want that type of reviling. Do not, do not do out of here's. Uh, so it's saying you're not blessed if people hate you just because you're a jerk. No, no, it says blessed when people hate you on account of your living for Jesus. That you're living for Jesus, that you're loving Jesus, because Jesus leads us into a way that doesn't look like the way of the world. And for some people, to live a life of integrity, to live a life of character, to live a life uh, fighting for the weak and the hurting and the broken, to live a life fighting for the things, for truth and love and grace, at times, those that want to stay in corruption, those that want to stay in greed, those that want to stay in their selfishness, those that don't want to, to look at God, that don't want to know God, those that hate Jesus, they are going to hate you for loving Jesus. And when that happens, no one likes being hated, no one likes being reviled, no one likes being harmed or threatened. It says, but when that happens, when, when you are threatened, harmed, persecuted, called names, cursed out, reviled, um, ostracized for the sake of Jesus, count yourself blessed. Count it a blessing. Matter of fact, rejoice. Have joy in it. That account of applies to the blessings above there as well. That if you're walking in poverty for the sake of Jesus, walking hungry for the sake of Jesus, weeping for the sake of Jesus, that you're blessed for that. You're blessed. Here's the point I want to make of this first section. In the kingdom of heaven, that's what Jesus is coming. He's teaching about how things are like in the kingdom of heaven. We pretty much know how things are in the kingdom of earth. Right? We can figure that out pretty fast. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know, Don't look at this. Just... Whatever, all the little, you, you figured out pretty soon how to get by in the kingdom of the earth. Jesus is saying the way things are in the kingdom of heaven, in this kingdom he came to bring. In the kingdom of heaven, it is better to suffer now for king and kingdom than to suffer in the next life. There's, this is one of the principles he's teaching his disciples. It is better to suffer now on, in this life than it is to suffer in the next life. That's important for us to weigh the balance because there are times we're following Jesus. We're following the character that he's pointing to. We're living for Jesus. We're sharing Jesus. 
is going to cause you to suffer in this life. And you will be tempted to say, no, 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 I don't want to suffer in this life. And what one of Jesus' principles, one of the things he's teaching them is it is better to suffer in this life than it is to suffer in the next life. Let's go down to verse 24 and to the woes, which is the opposite. Woe. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now again, we've got to understand the hyperbole here, um, because if we take the rest of Scripture, we'll see Jesus is actually buried in a rich man's tomb. Right? Was it woe to that rich man? Is he, is he, no, that, that rich man is a follower of Jesus, seems to put his neck on the line to be like, hey, can, can I go? You know the guy you just crucified and everyone hates and you hate? Is it cool if I take his body and bury him in my tomb? Right? We see him taking a radical risk, risk here. Uh, we see throughout Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, Righteous rich and righteous poor and unrighteous rich and unrighteous poor. If you take this out of text, out of uh, context, and you just pull these teachings out, you will think poor automatically makes you righteous. Read through Proverbs. The book of Proverbs will over and over and over slam on the poor when it is your foolishness that has made you poor. So just being foolish, wasteful, drug addict, if you're just poor on the streets, wasteful, drug addict, it's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not the blessings it's talking about here, right? If you, through biblical principles, have worked hard, been responsible, been diligent, and happen to have uh, more resources because of that, that doesn't mean woe to you, you're cursed. The question is, what do you do with your poverty? What do you do with your wealth? Who is it for? Are you living for this kingdom and this life now in your poverty or in your wealth? Or are you living for the next one? Are you living for the next one in your poverty or in your wealth? And that's important for us to understand. The first we looked at, in this kingdom it's better to suffer now for king and kingdom than suffer in the next life. In this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven... It's better to be rewarded later than to be rewarded now. Okay. So it's better to suffer now than suffer later, but in Jesus' kingdom, it's better to be rewarded later than be rewarded now. The question is, which life are you living for? Which life are you living for? That's what Jesus is hammering home right now. He's shattering all the boxes and saying, no, life isn't about right now. Live in light of eternity. Live in light of eternity. Live in light of future grace, in light of the kingdom of heaven, in light of all of Jesus' promises, and you'll get this life thrown in. Another way of saying that is live for the next life and you'll get this life thrown in with it. Live for this life, and you'll miss out on this life in the next one. Because living for that next life gives, this, gives 
gives this life true meaning and purpose. True meaning and purpose. Now this is really, really difficult for us here in America, right? Because in our kind of uh, consumeristic culture, like this box needs to be shattered for us. Because not only do we struggle with not living for this life, we struggle in our culture with not living for this very moment of like to be satisfied in this very second. We are a consumeristic instant gratification culture. Want to take an instant gratification test? How many of you guys looked at something at Amazon, were about to buy it, and then found out it didn't come next day? And said, I'm not going to want this in four days. Right? You immediately just like deleted it out of the shopping cart. You're just like, oh, look at the shipping, shipping. Four days. Like, that. if I can't have this tomorrow, I don't want it. But didn't even go through the, the thought process of how crazy this. We want our best life, not only not in the future with Jesus, we want our best life this very second. And we're trapped in consumerism. Here's two identities, choices that we have. Identity number one, living for this world, living for this earth, living not to suffer now, uh, choosing to suffer later rather than suffer now, choosing to have our rewards instantly rather than having the rewards future. Your identity, if you're living in that paradigm, is the identity of a consumer. If you've been born in America or been in America for more than five minutes, you are steadily being discipled, trained to be a consumer. If you are going to faithfully follow Jesus, this consumer identity needs to die. It actually needs to be crucified with Christ. It needs to be put to death. But it is deeply, deeply, deeply ingrained in our DNA because every single thing we look at, everywhere we go, Everything we hear, everything we watch is built in to keep you living in this consumer identity. I am this consumer. Jesus offers us a different identity, completely different, and that identity is the identity of servant. So you are either a servant with Jesus as Lord or, an ident or a consumer where your immediate desires are Lord. Okay? And your immediate desires are usually not even your own immediate desires. They're what you're watching, seeing, or thinking about tells you are your immediate desires. Ever have something that you've never thought of, never cared about, never, not one interest in the world, you see one commercial and you're like, I need it, I need it. You Google it real quick to see what it is. And now Google knows that you've seen it. So it pops up on your Facebook, and it pops up on your Instagram, and it pops up on your shoe. You're like, how did it get in the bottom of my shoe? How did the bottom of my shoe know I looked at a watch? Like, it just pops up everywhere. The radio commercials are on it, and you're just like, okay, how are, Google, where are you? How do you know that I looked at this for like five seconds? I didn't even care about it. Now you're obsessed about it, and you just see it. You see it everywhere. The feed, you see it every single place. Until when? Until you purchase it. When it gets purchased, it disappears from all that place. Somehow they know. Just like, boom, they bought it on Amazon. We got them. We gave them next day shipping, so it's there. Then you got that thing. You got that watch. You're super happy with it. And then like a 
timer, it's like they know like six months later we can get this guy with a new watch with the updates and the grades and we'll, we'll show his old watch that he had and we'll show it in like with sad music and like on someone looking lame. Just like, oh, look at my lame watch. It doesn't have Instagram. Uh. And then they'll just pop the next person and they're like, they're buff and they got girls hanging on them and their hair's flowing in the wind. It's like, new watch with Instagram. Bam. You're like, I gotta have it, I gotta have it. I got that old one with no girls and no muscles and no Instagram. Like, give me that new watch, right? And this is built into every single thing you do all the time. You are what you buy and what you consume. And that is what the world has made you to be. That is what you've been shaped to be. I gotta have it. You are what you buy and what you consume. If your identity is consumer and your immediate desire is Lord, then you are what you buy and consume. If you belong to Jesus, he invites your identity to be servant. He declares that he is Lord, Jesus is Lord, and he says, you're not what you consume. I've actually bought you. Scripture says you have been bought with a price. You're no longer your own. You belong to Jesus. Think of that with just your shopping habits. Two different mindsets. The mindset of I'm a consumer. I need to get what I want. I deserve it. I want it. I've worked hard for it. All the little things you tell yourself. You're just like, I've worked so hard for my eighth turtleneck. You know, just like, da, da, da. like what, what? The things that like pop into your head. All the people wearing turtlenecks just got like, oh, dang it. Called out. I just saw my mom's turtleneck and it popped in my head. <laughs> it's a nice turtleneck, mom. Um, All, you are what you buy and what you consume versus you've been bought with a price. The seriousness of the gospel. If you're here and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. If you're making that declaration, the declaration you're making is that you are a servant of Jesus and you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And that includes everything. Well, two different ways of looking at your stuff. One is all I have is for me and I need more. That's the consumer way of looking at it. All that I have is for me, and I need more. You might not say this out loud, but subconsciously, this is, this is what you bleed, you breathe. It's what your heart beats. It's what everything around us, hearts beat. Um, it's why we have, like, so much obesity. Just take food with this example, right? All I have is for me, and I need more. Versus, if you're a servant and Jesus is Lord and you've been bought with a price, all I have belongs to God and God is enough. Compare those two phrases. All I have is mine and I need more, or our world belongs to God. Our world belongs to God and God is enough. He's my enough. That new watch will never satisfy. That next Netflix episode will not satisfy. That next Disney Plus movie will not satisfy. That next Amazon Prime, Hulu, YouTube will not satisfy. That next sporting event will not satisfy. That next trip to fast food will not satisfy. That next fast fashion purchase will not satisfy. That next online shopping thing will not satisfy. The newest thing on your car or your truck or your boat or your new car, truck, or boat will not satisfy. 
consume, consume, consume. All of it takes your money. We go into debt for it. We work extra hours for it. It does not satisfy. That new thing for the kitchen will not satisfy. That new kitchen will not satisfy. That new thing for your yard will not satisfy. The new yard will not satisfy. How many times do we believe that next thing will satisfy? One more scroll on the Instagram will not satisfy. One more like on your Facebook will not satisfy. But Christ says that he satisfies. In Scripture, in the book of Jeremiah, it says, why, why do you, warns, the, warns the people, why do you make these cisterns to hold water? And we don't really use the word cistern anymore. But think of it like uh, canteen, maybe. Um, clean canteen, those are hip, right? What's the clean canteen, Nalgene? Like, why do you make one of those that don't hold water? Like, why would you get a water bottle that has a big old hole in the bottom? You pour it in, and the water just pours, and you're trying to get it, and it all falls out. Like, imagine if the entire bottom was like a spaghetti strainer right here. Like, it would just be ridiculous. Like, why do you carry that around? There's never any water in it when you want it. That's what he's saying in Jeremiah. Why do you create these broken cisterns that can't hold any water? Why do you do this? And scripture says, your consumerism. Why do you keep sacrificing? Why do you keep spending time? Why do you keep spending money? Why do you keep spending energy in those things that will not satisfy? And then God says, I created you. I know you. I know your concerns. I know your dreams. I know your hurts. And I alone can satisfy you. I made you with a God-sized gap in your soul. And the only thing that can fill it is my love and presence. Stop trying to fill it with stuff. Stuff will never fill it. We have to ask ourselves the question, do we have stuff or does our stuff have us? Do I have stuff or does my stuff have me? Jesus is saying you're going to be more blessed if you live to have your satisfaction in the next life rather than chasing satisfaction in this life. You're going to be more blessed to be rewarded in the next life rather than looking to purchase every reward in this life. He says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. One of the other things that's happening in this passage with these woes is oftentimes, um, if you take this paradigm of, okay, the rich are blessed, these are with, you ever see anyone just like, everything is going well for them, everything is going great, they're getting rich, they're getting this, they're getting that, and they're actually evil? Like, you know they've cheated to get it, you know they've lied to get it, you know they've like trampled on other humans' lives to get it, and they're just, they're just it, and it just gets better for them. Right? You just get better. It's just like, this person's becoming more evil, and things are just getting even better for them. Right? Any baseball fans here? Anyone get frustrated seeing Alex Rodriguez do commentary when it's like, one of the like, most corrupt steroid users and then lying about steroid use and then doing it again. And it's like, what, what the, what, why is he on ESPN? I don't, I'm, not, I'm not vibing this. I'm not vibing this. Sorry, that one's just personal to me. Okay. 
and Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong gets mad about that one. He's, they're not having him on ESPN. And he's like, A-Rod people, same thing. Sorry, okay, I'm getting way off track. Sports mind here. All the injustice that we see in the world that is wrapped around people's greed causing others to starve and be hungry, people's greed causing others to live in this desperate poverty, people's mockery, mocking those that are trying to do what's right and actually harming them with their mockery. Jesus says, woe to you if that's you. Woe to you if that's you. Woe to you if that's you. All of the evil and greed and corruption will one day stand before King Jesus on the white throne of judgment. And he will judge the unrighteous rich and the unrighteous poor. If they built a kingdom on earth, and that kingdom on earth may look spectacular, it will not stand in the next life. And if they built that, if they built that on other human souls, they're going to have to answer to King Jesus for that. And that is good news for us. That is good news for us. Oh, one theologian once said, and I'm pulling this off the top of my head, um, in the past, when we had a pretty, like, at least we thought we had a pretty honest and whatnot government, but in the past, uh, there were theologians, that had, there's this phrase where he said, it's only people in the West who have trouble with God's judgment in Scripture. But if you've lived in nations where the governments have trampled innocent lives, you hunger for the judgment of God. And as we've tasted more corruption, more evil, we long more for God's true justice. And there will be true justice. Woe to those who in their greed have made others poor. Woe to those who have feasted by making others starve. If you look at that around the world and all the injustice and all the poverty and all those things and it breaks, breaks your heart. Be encouraged that one day Jesus will make all right. He will make all right. And for us, that's good news for us. Because how many times have we trampled on others to build ourselves up? How many times have we turned away from the kingdom of heaven to live for this kingdom of earth? Who here can perfectly say, oh, I've always chosen to suffer now rather than suffer in the next life? Who here could honestly say, oh, yeah, I always choose to be rewarded later rather than get the rewards now? Right? None of us. So these woes would come on us who here's ever gone down the rabbit hole of investigating what our consumeristic habits are causing to those in third world countries making us stuff? 
But a lot of times the slavery is on the back of our spending habits. Woe to us. It's scary. It's frightening. But there's good news for us. Because for all the things that would mean that we should suffer later, Jesus took that suffering upon himself. He took that suffering upon himself so that we could be rewarded in the next life. So that we could be rewarded now with grace and love and forgiveness and an opportunity to walk with Jesus and follow in the Jesus way. This isn't something, this is, this is the religious paradigm getting blown up. It's not just those out there that are doing this. It's us. The woes are on us. But the good news is that Jesus took all of those woes and put it on himself. And he freely offers, if you would repent and churn from your selfish ways and trust in Jesus, you get forgiveness, you get newness, you get cleansed. And you get rewarded now with his presence and his grace and rewards in the future with eternal future grace with King Jesus. This is our good news. This is our hope. And it is out of this love and presence of Jesus that he took our penalty on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose to redeem us. He died to forgive us and rose to redeem us, sending his own spirit so we could be transformed and begin to learn step by step, day by day, to be less of a consumer and more of a servant. Step by step, day by day, realizing this world isn't mine. This world belongs to God. Step by step, day by day, inviting others out of this trap and cycle into life and life abundance. I said it earlier. Focus on this life, you lose both. Focus on the next life, you get this life thrown in. Jesus at John 10.10 10 says, I've come to give you life life abundance. This, that's the secret. It's better to give than receive, it says in scripture. It's better to give than receive. To actually pour yourself out, you find that you are actually blessed and built up. This is the backward kingdom way. And this is the way, church, that Jesus invites us in, to be disciples of Jesus. To be taught by Jesus how to look at money. To be taught by Jesus how to look at hobbies. To be taught by Jesus how to look at career. To be taught by Jesus how to look at every avenue of life rather than be taught by Google and Facebook and what name your thing. Who do you want to be your teacher? Who do you want to be your king? Who do you want to be your Lord? Your smartphone or the maker of heaven and earth? Or the maker of heaven and earth? Jesus invites you to repent, to turn from all false gods, and to follow him into life and life eternal. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you and praise you um, that you invite us into things that we don't deserve. Lord, we don't deserve to have abundant joy and rejoicing because our decisions would not ultimately lead us there. but you give us grace and you give us forgiveness and you give us mercy and you pick us back up after we fall again and again. You turn us back around after we 
chase another false idol or believe that, yep, if I can just get this next t-shirt, then I'll be happy. Help us to look for joy in you, not in the things of this world. And help us to invite others to find joy in you. Help us to experience your joy and your presence and your power to be a part of your wonderful kingdom. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Local church, let me leave you with this benediction. Um, locals, no one loves you like Jesus loves you. No one will ever love you like Jesus loves you. He loves you. He forgives you. He laid down his life for you. He's more patient with you than anyone will ever be with you. He cares for you. He knows your deepest weaknesses. He knows your biggest sins. He knows the things you're most ashamed about. And he still chooses to draw near to you and love you. No thing will ever love you like Jesus loves you. Nothing you can buy will ever love you like Jesus loves you. Nothing that you can consume will ever care for you like Jesus cares for you. So local church, knowing that Jesus loves you, go loving God and loving others because he first loved you. And local church, let us be distinct from the people of this world. Let us be distinct and different. Let us not fall into the trap of loving our stuff and using people. But let us transform and be people that use stuff to love people and love God. Go with Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to Local Church Podcast. To learn more about our Jesus community, visit us at www.localchurchgh.com. Thanks again for listening and God bless.